Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm one of your hosts, Tim, and I'm joined by Carlo and Lavelle. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. So we're going to record episode 18 in a couple of pieces. Um, we are now one week exactly out from Nova Open 2018. Uh, we're recording these first couple of sections where we're going to do qu- a quick Nova Open recap. And then we're going to circle back and finish out the show with some more narrative and uh, other general gaming kinds of topics. But we wanted to get this one fresh while it was still in our minds because I am very quick to forget what I had for lunch yesterday, let alone 40k games I played a week ago. So let's jump right in and start off as we always do with section one, hobby progress. Carlo, it's been a short week since Nova, but have you been doing any hobbying? So I was fortunate enough to get some great painting classes, uh, painting seminars in at Nova on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I took a blending class with Matt DiPietro, which was like three hours long, and that was great. I took a painting power armor class with Duncan Rhodes which was a lot of fun, learned some cool techniques there. And I took a realistic skin tone class with uh, Shoshi. And uh, I tried to go home and emulate some of that before I forgot it. You know, so Yeah, it's good to practice it right after the fact, I'm sure. I took the mini that I got from uh, Matt DiPietro's class and uh, started working on that. So I'd, I had um, the hair on it and the back of the cloak painted, so... I did the other side of the cloak, uh, did some wet blending on that, and I tried to do some some two brush blending on the shoulders, and I did uh, the skin tone on all of her uh, skin parts, you know. So it was it was fun. Like, and uh, I've got a picture of it. I could shoot it over to you, but I'm gonna try and finish her up and solidify some of that knowledge that I gained over the weekend. What about you? This week it was kind of a hectic week coming back and. Then the, the you know the holiday was Monday the Labor Day holiday, uh, but I did get to, to painting on uh, yesterday. I painted for a couple hours yesterday. Um, I finished up uh, two night Helverins, got them based and uh, dull coated, you know, matte varnish and everything last night. And I did the uh, I have like a batch of thirty uh, Chaos Cultists that I'm working on for a friend. And they were kind of built. I uh, finished building them last night and primed them and did uh, like a big blast of white from the top for that zenital highlight technique. For cultists, I just try to, because there's so many of them, and they, I try not to spend a ton of time on each one. But I have a couple of tricks and techniques that can make them look pretty cool and not be super time-consuming. So one of those is to start with the big zenital highlight on top. And so that was yesterday. Uh, this week I finished reading a Horus Heresy novel, uh, Talarn by John French. It's actually a series of three, like two short stories and a novella, um, which I didn't know going into it. So I just thought they were really long chapters. The first two short stories were amazing, like page turner type of action stuff. You know, it's about uh, humans on a world that's being besieged by the Iron Warriors. The Iron Warriors had... on a world being besieged by Iron Warriors. Yeah, that's that. good. That's good. <laughs> Totally actiony. So the Iron Warriors had virus bombed the planet, but some people had escaped to these underground shelters, and some of those people had tanks. So it's a really great uh, story of uh, one is a Shadow Sword crew, and the other I think is either a Predator crew or a Bane Blade crew, 
It's just a really great description of what it's like to be stuck in a tank as part of a bigger tank squad in the 41st millennium. And as you can imagine, it really sucks to be stuck in a tank in the 41st millennium. Um, it's a hot mess. The third story is the longest one. Um, it deals more with... It still has a tank crew as its kind of centerpiece, but it has more Iron Warriors in it and an element of chaos in there. Um, Honestly, I had trouble making sense out of it towards the end. There was a lot of Alpha Legion stuff in, the, in that last big novella. I'll call it two. It was a really long short story. We'll call it a novella. Um, it, it, there was a lot of Alpha Legion stuff, and whenever the Alpha Legion stuff gets in there, it's like I have trouble following some of the characters because all of a sudden there's like more than one of a character, and then there's... Uh, it's just It got very confusing for me at the end. I think I need to reread like the last 20 pages because it kind of just ended, and I felt like it ended on a... Like, I didn't know what what happened. You know what I mean? I didn't realize... I just didn't know... A lot of the questions were unanswered, but I think they were answered. I just wasn't quick enough to pick up on the answers, maybe. So I have to review that one. I'm wondering if, like, when they originally wrote Alfarius and Omeganon, that the writer accidentally switched the name and then just rolled with it, like, Mentos style, you know? Like... <laughs> I remember I was in a, a, a seminar, I think it was at Adepticon, where Andy Smiley was talking about how he writes, and he, maybe he was telling the story of another author, another Black Library author, and how they write. But he does, he never wastes time assigning any names to any of the characters. So on his first draft of a story, it'll be Bob One, Bob Two, Bob Three, Bob One, Bob Two. He doesn't assign. He'll just use these placeholder names. So Carlo, you might be right that somebody used Alfarius or Omegon as a placeholder name, and all of a sudden we have two Primarchs. Yeah. <laughs> How do you how do you keep track of that? I feel like that would drive me nuts. Oh, well, I, guess, I guess in some of these, it's like, you know, there's so many names to, to crank out. And if you're in the flow of just getting the, the action down, you don't want to get bogged down on, like, assigning somebody, like, a four-word name as some of these, especially in the Horus Heresy stuff. Some of those names are ridiculous, oh, yeah. you know. Archmagos, Generalissimo, Biologus, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, geez, wow, that guy's got a I'm lot of titles. like a... Like an admac dude with a cigar in his mouth. Oh now, yeah, you're you know? damn right. You're damn right. And especially, <laughs> like, especially like with the custodies, there's they have some of them have like ten thousand word names, I think, because they keep adding names based on the battles that they fought in. Hasn't every battle they've fought in been contained in the basement? <laughs> no, a lot, going, a lot going on in that basement, Carlo. <laughs> they were on, Actually, they were on Prospero. Yeah, no, they're out and about right yeah. now. Yeah, they're, they do stuff. But they, you know, since each one is a one-man army, you know, they just send one guy out and he's waging a war and they might send three guys out if they're feeling happy. That's all you need. <laughs> I also found, I started another book too this week called Crossfire. It's a 40K novel about uh, the Arbides. Uh, it's by Matthew Farrer, Ferrer, Matthew Ferrer, probably, F-A-R-R-E-R. I had never heard of it nor seen it before. I picked it up at my, my secret New Jersey uh, used bookstore uh, where they have a lot of Black Library stuff. Um, it's, you know, about planetary defense force. Hold on, Carlo. Carlo. Yo. Did you note that? We're get, each time we talk to him, we get a little bit more about this secret store. We've <laughs> narrowed it down to a state. It is, in, it is New Jersey. I'll give you that. Put that, well, put that in the cogitators, and we'll, we'll hold on it for more data. According to my file on Tim's store over here, it's in New Jersey. It's by the beach. I'm thinking, based on my knowledge of New Jersey, that it's in Long Branch. It'll, it'll be in my will. I'll, I'll leave that to you guys. <laughs> the, name, the, name of, the name of location of my secret store. <laughs> 
Yeah, but then by the time we finally get over there, there'll be like a note. It's like, gotcha, bought everything worth buying already, <laughs> suckers. No, what we need to do is one day he'll walk in and we'll be sitting there with coffee like Tim. We need to get the, <laughs> the spinning rolling chairs so we can both spin around. I don't know if we should do it one at a time or both at the same time. What's more dramatic? Like if Lavelle spins first and then I spin second. But it's a uh, you know it's it's cool because so far in this book I'm only the first thirty or so pages into it. But there's uh, it's all humans. Uh, it's humans versus humans. There's some uh, Adeptus Mechanicus in there. Uh, it's neat. There, it's an older book. It's from right around the turn of the millennium, I think, two thousand two, two thousand three, maybe two thousand. There's three books in the series. It's called the Enforcer series, and it's all about these this female Arbites officer. Um, do you guys say Arbites or Arbides? I, I thought it was Arbides too, but then I think I heard someone from Games Workshop at Nova say Arbites. Let's go with Arbides. Yeah, um, I like that better. Toby Longworth pronounces it Arbides, like that. Okay, let's go Arbides. Yeah, then. cool. So it's this female Arbides officer. Uh, she's a badass, of course. And this is back from that the art style. I wish I could, I wish I had it in front of me, but it's downstairs. The cover art, if you know, listeners, if you go to blacklibrary.com, type in uh, Enforcer. It's still available as an ebook. It has that great, like old school, very freaky cover art. <laughs> like there's nothing warm and fuzzy, grim dark about it. It's truly grim dark. The cover artwork. Uh, the next two books in the series are Legacy and Blind. Is after that. I don't have those follow-up books, so I may have to try to find them at a used, uh, like a bookstore online or something, because uh, I can't read ebooks well. Or nor quickly because of my eyes. Um, I'm not a big fan of ebooks. I can't. I can't it, it, it bugs me out. Yeah. Yeah. You can't really take them to the beach unless you have like a note or a Kindle or whatever it's called. Mm. Yeah, I had somebody. Then... Somebody had gifted me one of the older Sony ones years ago when they first came out, and then I tried a Kindle for a while, and it just it just wasn't for me. I just couldn't. I wanted to like it because it's a good way to read. You know, semi in the dark. If you have a nice little semi backlit one, you know. Mm, but yeah. I, I just couldn't. Uh, something about my eyes. I have trouble focusing at close distances anymore. I'm at that age where I think I need bifocals, or I need to wear my contacts and get reading glasses. I'm at that. I'm, I'm gonna. You know, I'm at that point in my life, and I'm I'm okay. I with think that. bifocals would go well for you. You kind of got like a steampunk like thing going on, so you could totally. You know, what you should do is get those uh, pilots goggles and put like bifocal lenses in them, and then just wear those all the time. You know, like the the old like nineteen twenties uh, um, pilot's goggles. You know, well, like like somebody who would like be like working in, like a get like a gas machinery factory of some kind. Yeah, kind of. Or like uh, no, like the ones where you're like going up into a well, like a biplane pilot's like goggles. a biplane. Yeah, and then you've got you the scarf on, and then you've got the the goggles. Yeah. And next up on my own hobby bench for my army, um, I really needed to get my Primaris aggressors going. I am seeing a, a hole in my army, and that is uh, boots on the ground with uh, more than one wound. Uh, we'll talk about our Nova experiences shortly, but my Iron Hands tactical squads got really shot up by everybody else's Primaris squads and Hellblasters and Aggressors, etc. And I think I finally have to admit to the fact that I need, either need to play my tacticals as Primaris or I need to start building Primaris Marines, because in order to stick around and stay on objectives... You just need more wounds nowadays. That's the conclusion that I'm coming to. So next, next or you for can me, play those like 30 Terminators you have. Yes, I could put more Terminators out there too. Yeah, that's that, that's going to happen soon. Yeah, Lavelle, how about you? What's your week been like in the hobby? 
So I was very, very successful at the Nova and not buying a bunch of crap. <laughs> but what I did buy was I, you know, I'm having some problems with my custodies armies in terms of long range firepower. So I bought, I purchased the um, Forge World Legio Custodes Gladius Tank, Cladius Tank. And I added the Telemon Dreadnought, both to my, you know, that tank is a fast attack option, not a heavy. That was really what? amazing to me. Yes. Um, so they'll, it'll sit real nice amongst my jet bikes. So what I, I, I purchased that and I kind of um, getting ready to start constructing that and get it, getting it on the table. In addition, I finally have my, um, my new Necron Dynasty all finished up and ready to go. And so um, I got a lot of other stuff. Let me kind of go through it. I had that and I am, I joined the, the Basement War Gamers. They, they meet out in Phoenixville. I joined their ladder campaign. So um, I'm, I'll, I'm going to be doing that. Since I've been focusing all my attention on the Nova, I haven't been doing my regular campaign work. And so I still have to finish uh, Mike, who's, uh, I think he's playing Space Marines. No, he might be playing Terranids in this one. But he and I have a campaign that I need to get back to. Plus, a lot of people don't know it, but I do a lot of uh, role-playing. I've got three Dungeons and Dragons, no, two Dungeons and Dragons and an Affinity campaign that I'm running. So I'm getting back into that. And I had to, re after my bolt action experience, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I'm getting ready to get a game in, uh, hopefully on a regular basis, but I'm preparing, a, I think, a 3,000-point bolt action a game against uh, two people and their combined 1,500. Cool. What's the uh, latter campaign that Basement Wargamers are doing? What's that about? It's a 40K campaign. We started 1,250 point. This is the first week, and I actually am behind in getting my game in. But... um. It, it, it's a grow, slow grow campaign among the members and a couple of other people that regularly play. And, you know, a campaign, especially like this, it gives you an opportunity to play and grow as you play. I think, I don't think, there are a number of uh, new gamers and people starting new armies. And um, they're kind of, it's a chance for them to come out, play on it. I think we're starting at 1,250 points to start at 1,250, kind of grow each week. Has anybody? I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw this. The two new factions that are getting codexes: Euclidean Star Striders and the uh, Pox something. Yeah, that is just amazing. That is just amazing to me. Lavelle, you called it a couple of months ago, saying that the next we're going to see some surprises coming out with regards to codices, and I think these are going to be really nice and really surprising and add a lot to the game because they're just totally from left field kind of forces from what I've read. I think it's, I think it's really cool. Yeah, I do. I, I like the way, it, you know, if you, at this point now you can, the, the same thing happened with custodies, which I really like. You can jump on a brand new army and not have to worry about, you know, people who've been playing it for years and you start on even ground. It's, it's great, for, especially for new players. It is. Yeah. Can we go back for a second? You've been playing the infinity role-playing game that came out just recently, right? It's not that old of a system, is it? Right. It might, um, I think it, it might be just yeah. under a year. Aristea or, oh, the RPG system. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. RPG, the RPG. Well, you know, I, um, it's interesting. I'm playing um, with Justin, Akil, and Lorenzo, and we're seasoned Infinity players. But the two other people that we're playing with, they are uh, role players. And so it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a real, the system is a little different for me, so we're all learning as we go. But the, as I've always felt, the entire uh, 
universe is filled with a lot of opportunities for all kinds of storytelling. It's going pretty, pretty, it's going pretty well, pretty well. But, you know, one of the things that I do is, um, especially for people who don't play the game or who aren't really into the Infinity Universe, I'm sending them clips off of uh, YouTube and various places so they can learn about their factions so it can help them play their characters better. Uh, the two Dungeons and Dragons games that I'm in, one is the D&D game has been going for a very long time. I guess we might be, uh, we, we crossed over from the last edition to this edition. And the other one, I have, um, I think I've got four players right now. And except for one person, they played D&D long time ago and they're getting back in. And so we're starting at the ground and it's, it's been pretty good. I noticed that you didn't mention our D&D game. What's up with that, Lavelle? Um, I'm are not... You, are you, are you out? No, I am not out, and I resent <laughs> that. I've been having a little travel tra- travel time issues getting down there, but um, I just mentioned the games that I was running, not the games that I'm playing in. If I mention oh all the God. games that I'm right, <laughs> then then I look like a nerd. <laughs> nice. Uh, let, let's circle back. You had mentioned uh, that you didn't buy a lot of junk at Nova, and I was happy to. I'm happy to be able to say the same thing. Um, we'll talk about. Well, I guess let's talk about it now. The stuff we picked up while we were down there. Um, they didn't. I went to the Ethereum booth. I was thinking I would get one new Ethereum model for that game, but they didn't have their individual model boxes. They just had the faction sets. Also, side note: Will and Brian from Anvilate Games were there at Nova as they they're their usual touring crew. Um, great guys. What's up, Will and Brian? Um, they're releasing an Ethereum RPG. And they had they had a demo rule book there at the table. I just had a chance to flip through it, but I, I think it's great that they're investing in their IP at, at that level where they're going to like put out a role playing game and game aids. It's going to be miniatures based role playing, so they're going to have you can probably use the. They had mentioned that you could use the tiles from Ethereum to set up your battles for the characters in the RPG, which I think it's awesome. You have this terrain, you have these minis, might as well give them some rules to have some more evolved gaming sessions beyond the board game. You know, I thought that was really, really cool. I'd be down to get I know we were talking about like what system we want to play next, and I think I'd be down. I'm also excited to see Wrath and Glory, which I know, um, Lavelle, you had bought the, uh, you got in on the pre-order for that. I'm looking forward to seeing that book. But uh, it purchases at Nova. I only bought a book at the uh, Silent auction. I got a book called Figure Art by Rafa Pika and Roman Lapat, and that was it. I was, te- I was so tempted to get Titanicus while we were down there, but I'm glad I didn't. I held off. I had some restraint. My wallet is thanking me. I was tempted to get that limited edition uh, art book from the Forge World booth, but I didn't. That felt good. You know what? I, I did buy one other thing. Forgive me. I spent $15, and I got a Warhammer Age of Sigmar Champions starter deck for order which was cool because we were able to play that game several times over the course of the weekend, and it was really fun. So I was glad to get a deck for that. And they had a whole I booth. really enjoyed that game. Yeah, it's good. It's yeah. good. The, um, and the, the box came with uh, some markers, the starter pack, one booster pack, and then they were giving away metal versions of some of the tokens at the booth across from Forge World where they were playing demo games and such. Uh, I think it's cool. I um I watched a couple of playthrough videos on YouTube this week uh, over lunch, just to kind of you know refresh my memory about the rules and see how people were reacting to the gameplay. And I think they could be onto something there, which is neat. Um, at the silent auction, they were uh, auctioning off two of the starter boxes. I think they were called founders boxes. Uh, they were big black boxes of several faction decks and all kinds of nice bits to play with. And a guy behind me in line, as we were paying for purchases, was really stoked. 
about uh, having won it because some of the guys in his local area are really they're 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 trying to really get that started at their local store. So that was neat to hear. It was easy to learn. Had a seemed like it had a decent level of of tactical depth to it. And I'm sure you know as some of the cards make their way from booster packs into people's uh, play decks that it'll be uh, it could grow. You know the tactical the tactical nature of it could. Uh, could be enhanced yeah i've been looking for a card game to get back into and i love like magic because it's always been like a lifelong love of mine but it's hard to get back into it once you've taken a break for so long you know like i don't know like half of these new rules that they've made but uh it seems like the warhammer uh, game will be easy to get back in easy to get into yeah you know? it's nice to get into a game at the start of it yeah like lavelle was saying like with yeah. the custodies you know yeah get it on the ground floor hey. yeah hey tim yeah Remember, like the, you talked about the miniature, um, the the the. I'm back at Ethereum. Yeah. Um, they'll be at PAX. Yes, they will. Yes. And they they have a huge selection that they they bought last year to the PAX, and um, so start putting your pennies in a jar. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do that. And uh, Forge World is coming to uh, PAX Unplugged this year too. What? Nice. That might not be public knowledge, but I overheard the guy at the Forge World booth say it, so now it is public knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to shut us down. <laughs> <laughs> By that time, I might actually throw down some money for this Emperor's Children 30K army that I talk about every episode. <laughs> How much do you have of that painted so far? Nothing. No, I have I have one Dreadnought. And <laughs> so nothing. nothing. I have a Dreadnought in pieces, and I have a, I have one sprue from Betrayal of Kath of like Mark III Marines. That's it. <laughs> He said so he's still in his, con- like, in his conception phase. You're going for like a darker color scheme on that, right? Like the dark, deep purple. Kind yeah. Of a thing? Yes. These guys okay. are as heretical as possible. I have I have a list made of what I want to get. I have all the the horse heresy. I have the red books. You know, I have my list in mind of what I want to do. But it's hella expensive. You know, as we were talking about last episode with the price increase, it's like you got to have some change to throw down. I like the idea of that escalation league and just getting a few hundred points a month or something. Maybe I'll start that uh, by making a purchase at PAX Unplugged here in Philadelphia uh, this fall. Tim, I um, I have the Adeptus Titanicus game. It's in construction now. So I liked it when I looked at it and I saw some gameplay. I liked that it was a combination miniature and really a good board game. And it was very concise. And so mine's is under construction right now. And I'm hoping to get a game in soon. It's interesting that you say under construction. I'm starting to think that you have some sort of Santa's workshop building your minis and painting them for you. I, I don't really think that's any of your business. <laughs> <laughs> when I it say wasn't we, like I'm building them right now. Right. It was when like, I say I and we, I'm talking about in the royal sense. I, ha- I have a, a whole team of freelancers. Get on this. Get on this. If I spent all my time building and painting as many things that I had, I'd never get a chance to play. You'd never play. Oh, yeah. yeah, you got to make you got to make a call at some point. Yeah. Cool. That was section one. We'll take a short break. We'll come back with Section 2, Tactical Upload, a.k.a. Nova Recap. Stay tuned. Let's dive into Section 2, Tactical Upload. We're going to turn this section into a bit of a Nova Open Recap. I know we talk about the Nova Open quite a bit on the show because it's our local big event. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep this section relatively brief. Uh, we did have a great time 
down at Nova, as we always do. The elevators seem to be busier than ever. The picking up the car from the valet seemed to take longer than ever. But those are both, you know, growing pains and a result of a ton of growth in the hobby, I think. Uh, they had, you know, many hundreds of more registrants pre-registered than they had in years past uh, for, this, for this year's Nova. They increased by, like, 33%. Over the last year, it was like 2,100 attendance last year or something like that. And there were over 3,000 this year that signed up. It's tremendous. Yeah, it definitely takes it takes over that hotel. And there I, I did see on Saturday and Sunday, there were other smaller groups gathering in the lobby. And they were all looking around like, what on earth is going on around here this weekend? We've come to the wrong hotel, you know. But as always, the hostel, hotel staff was awesome. It's nice to go back to the same hotel three years in a row to see the same faces behind the bar and behind the check-in desk and in housekeeping. It was... Uh, they, they, you can tell they get a kick out of us being there, and uh, you know the the hotel made it for a really nice experience. It was relatively seamless, uh, checking in, really seamless checking out. The rooms were great, everything was tidy and neat. Um, other than the elevators taking a while, which did force us to sneak around the corner and use the freight elevators on more than one occasion. Nice, yeah, but that, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, the, well, the the hotel was nice enough to kind of allow us to do it once, and then we were greedy enough to just keep you doing know, it. indulge ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was a necessary evil. Yeah, a necessary Let evil. Let me, I want to share two stories with you. So, you know, on Thursday and Friday, I had some business issues and I ended up Friday morning having to take a conference call. I was tucked away in the lobby, but you can hear people screaming, Wog! And for the emperor! Somebody finally said on my conference call, Where the hell are you? What are you, are you doing? <laughs> The other thing is I want to I want to give a shout out. So, you know, the, a lot of people, many wargaming, a lot of people with their YouTube channels was there. There's a woman who wargamer girl. Anybody familiar with her? She really does a lot of uh, war machines. She's got some other games that she does. And she does. I mean, her battle reports are like watching a, a TV episode. They're so good. Miranda's her name. I had a chance to, she was playing 40K, and one night I was playing in the narrative. And I, I had a chance, I bumped into her and I had a chance to speak to her. She was so incredibly nice. I can't, you know, you meet a lot of nice people at the Nova, but she was just so incredibly nice. We talked about, you know, it's funny, She it's almost like she was interviewing me. She, We talked about what she did, and I talked about the quality of her battle report, and she asked me what other games I played, and she asked me this question that I really never think about. <laughs> she said, I don't understand. She said, how do you keep all of those games in your head because they're all so different? Yeah, and I said, well, I guess I do need medication. <laughs> I, I don't know. You just play them. Oh, we're playing this. We're playing this. She we're obviously playing. hasn't seen your interpretation of the rules. <laughs> flexible. It's all flexible. <laughs> I just wanted to mention there was a lot of great people there, and a lot of people come, and then they, they just get their game on. Now let's talk about the trios. Yeah, we started in trios on Thursday. We showed up Wednesday night. We rolled into trios Thursday morning. So nice getting there Wednesday night and having a leisurely morning before trios on Thursday. We had brought down the hot glue gun to affix the rib cage and uh, lung material made out of uh, saran wrap that I had spray painted uh, to the back of the display boards, which did very much look like the belly of the void whale when they were all lined up nice and tidy end to end. I just love the colors were amazing. Like when you yeah, there was just um, there was all rattle can, purple, blues, and red, and then some gloss varnish and a whole lot of uh, great stuff, and uh, some glue and epoxy, and it was just it was fun to make because it was really just you just make as big of a mess as possible on those boards, and 
take him outside and hit him with the uh, Krylon. It was it was it was a good project. I enjoyed doing it, and it did. And the hot glue gun worked out really well downstairs. Um, it was easy to put the rib cages on and then just kind of pop them off as soon as the painting judging was over, because they were kind of a pain in the butt to carry around with those rib cages attached. Oh yeah. Well, there's just not a lot of space because of the influx and players. Let let me say this: a couple things. It is September the eighth. We need to get started on 2019 right now. <laughs> right now. So we've got some decisions to make. Yeah, I've been talking to Tim about this. I've been talking up a big game for years, but I think this year I'm actually going to do it and just repaint all my Space Wolves for next year and actually do like a good job on them. And let me yeah. just tell you guys, I, I'm really thinking hard about, um, I don't know yet, but I'm really thinking hard about switching to Necron. Okay, but listen to this. The other thing that I noticed, have you, did you guys notice the people with those little carts. I'm yeah. really digging that idea. Yeah, the carts are great. With the number of people that were there, I was shocked that nobody's army just totally hit the deck after falling off of a table or being dropped or nudged while you're carrying around because it was tight. I did hear something happen, but I'm not. I heard like a loud kind of a thing. But I was like, I didn't want to look. It's like it's, hey, but it's like guys, going to an listen. Scene. I was going down the escalator <laughs> from the lobby to the registration area. And there was a guy with his display boy in the army, and he did wipe out. Oh, oh. right. Was oh, it like yeah. Final Destination style, where like uh, the army got ground up in the escalator, and it was just like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, luckily, a guy jumped <laughs> over the other escalator and grabbed his board, but it was it was you know it, I was like, Ooh, damn, really? Gonna... Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. So we got downstairs Thursday morning. Um, as soon as everybody started setting up, I was like, damn, some people came here to win this theme competition because there were some amazing display boards, some amazing stuff yeah, down we, there. We should, we, we, we should absolutely call Jason out. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, the, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's where I was segueing to. Um, so Jason had created, you know, Jason, a friend of the podcast, Headwound Minis on Instagram, just brought his A game and then capitalized and bold-faced that letter A by making this display board. It was probably four foot by two foot, maybe, maybe not that wide, but it was this amazing kind of staircase at the bottom of which there were all these ruins from, uh, I think they were Lord of the Rings terrain or something uh, that he had distressed and painted beautifully. And it led up to these really great uh, verdigree coppered doors in the side of this kind of mountainscape he had built on the left-hand far corner of the board. So it was this sweeping staircase on which he had placed his army. Fernando had his, you know, Jason's Nurgle army was sitting there. Fernando had his Thousand Sons. And Alexander had Death Guards sitting there. The, the presentation of it was just, like, so spot on. And so... He said it was a, it was a Chaos Lord tomb vault. So well thought out. And rightfully so. They won first place for best painted armies at the trios, which is something Jason's been working for for years. So I thought it was just awesome. I, I was just so so pleased that they won uh, because I know they were that Jason had put in a lot of time in making that display board under adverse circumstances like car trouble and uh, timing issues and everything else. But he really did uh, burn the midnight oil and do a great job on that display board. Yeah, I was but you know what? when I saw that thing. All of those those guys and that entire team that you just mentioned, all of them are fantastic painters. And I kind of feel like they're professional level. (laughs) Yeah, it's like an NFL player (laughs) playing corner league. (laughs) All this stuff was so incredible. It was like, 
Wow. I feel like the the ugly kid at the dance. There was um there was another group that had done a huge I forget the second gate inside the 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 Imperial Palace, but they had built a diorama, a huge diorama. It was probably four foot by six foot or something. Huge in sections, but it all came together to form this big, uh, this massive gate uh, with fortress walls coming away from the center of it. And they had uh, Gilliman and demons and all this great stuff happening on it. They had an entire book printed on parchment paper that you could flick through and read. Um, looked really, really cool. Uh, there was that, um, another team had built up a I think it was Stygies, that uh, Forge World that the Mechanicus controls. I think it was Stygies. They had made a movie that they had playing on an iPad next to it. And they had made the movie by just doing like shots from the iPad of a certain mini, and then somebody would do the voice of that mini. So they had kind of made a a narrative to like a video video narrative to set the stage for why their three armies were on this big fortress wall that they had built out of foam and rocks and rubble and everything. It looked just awesome. Guys, what are we doing? There's also a guy dressed up as a Catachan. Yeah, there was some pretty serious stuff going on down there. It was it was really good to see. That's what that's what I really love about the trios game, is that some people do take the gaming part of it very seriously. Some people take the narrative part of it very seriously, and others take the hobby part of it really seriously. Um, I know I take the narrative and the hobby part way more seriously than the gaming part. I think you know I think a lot of teams have a mix of those kind of interests, but there is something for everyone playing in the trios, which is nice. Um, you can have a great painted army and have a great day, uh, or you can have a you know two-color two army and be really into tactics and have a really good day at the same time. And nobody's taking it super seriously, and it's, it's, it, was, it, it was a really good day. Uh, we were lucky enough to play second overall in the points, which was really nice to do. I feel like that's, a, that's like a 40k high watermark for me in terms of painting and playing and it was a good day overall. I think we uh, we had some good games. I agree. I want to say something else about not just trios, but the entire 40K environment there. One, we're seeing a lot more diversity. Um, and I, I'm very happy to see we, 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 we're seeing a lot more women players. And it's I, I like what's going on. It really speaks well, not just to the convention, but the event itself that people feel, people of all different kind of play levels come in and they feel like, hey, I can actually come to this type of tournament, the trios, and I can just play. And it's really, really good. All right, let's talk about our games. Okay, yeah, so game one, um, it was uh, the format is you play two doubles games and one solo game throughout the course of the day. So for the first game, uh, Carlo and I played Chris and Rick. Uh, they were Thousand Sons and Corn Berserkers, and Lavelle soloed off against Chris. Uh, Lavelle took his custodies, and Chris had Death Guard. Um, Carlo and I had a really great plan coming into that game because they had Magnus and Araman and uh, Big Demon Prince, you know, the Flying Demon Prince and all this. So Carlo was like, yeah, we're going to spend a bunch of command points and send that knight in there and just wreck face with Magnus turn one. And we sure tried. <laughs> so I wounded on, I hit him with uh, five, I had a knight gallant and I hit him with five Reaper Chainsword attacks turn one and he invul saved. All of them except for one or something, yeah. right? Or no, we got him down to like three wounds. Got him pretty far down, so, but it just wasn't enough to seal the deal. And then and then I, I attacked a second time with the stratagem, and he saved every single one. I did like 12 stomp attacks, and he saved all of them. 
It was ridiculous. I was like, uh. So we lost We lost that game. Yeah, and I made a really bad tactile error, which I'm going to mention here so I don't forget it, because somebody's going to remind me of this in the future, because I'm saying it now. So there was some corn berserkers in a rhino on the far side of the table, like maybe a foot away from an objective that I was currently running, that at that point I was running some troops over to secure that objective. And I had left just enough of a gap behind that conga line of troops between the objective and the terrain that I was, you know, prior turn hiding behind, that he could charge between my last troop and the piece of terrain without coming within an inch of that troop. I just mismeasured and wasn't paying close enough attention to how I was spacing those models out. So he was able to do the thing the corn berserkers do, which is charge in and attack like 400 times and just wreck Cataphrons and Castellans and my HQ behind it because they have so many attacks. So I'm putting this here for, for prosperi- prosteri- posterity's sake uh, that I need to be more conscious of how I'm conga lining my troops out to form that line against getting charged through to softer meat on the inside of the army, as it were. Lavelle, tell us about your first game against Chris's Death Guard army. Um, on the table right next to you, uh, Chris was performing medical services without a license. And he surgically dismembered me. (laughs) Um, And that's exactly, I watched it happen in horror. I had no response. And we talked about this, what you do when you have no response to something. He, I had no response for his, um, his death guard, uh, what the, the mortars. The play burst crawlers. Yeah. Yeah. They were, and they were, they were, he was very, very methodical. He took out my knight. Then he took out my jet bikes. Then he took out. Yeah, he was very, very good and 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 very, very disciplined in his approach. No matter how close my my um jet bikes got to him, you know, on the next turn I'm gonna get you on the charge. No, nope, he didn't panic. He was very, very methodical. Um, I ended up, I, I ended up with some points in that game, but I noticed, you know, usually I'm looking over at your at your guys' table, the other table, kind of assessing where we are as a team. But he had me so occupied trying to. You know, what we always talk about, trying to respond and answer questions in my head about what's going on the table. He did a really, really good job. And the best thing that I can use to describe it is he maintained tactical discipline. He made, which is really, really good. He maintained my night was getting a little closer. Nope. He maintained his discipline and he, he knew he assessed which piece of my army was the greatest threat. And he pulled the skin off. He took it apart. And then he went to the next threat and the next threat and the next threat. Um, I think that there was some, one of the things that I talked about, the weakness in my army, I did not have the ability to reach out and touch him long range in a meaningful way to, to deplete those people. I think one of the, I got my assassin over there and I was able to tie up one of them, but you know, it was a really, really good game. I guess by turn two, I realized, you know, at this point you are not going to win this game. Try to gather some points, try to get some points in. It was it was a really good game. He played a really good game. That's the best thing I can say. So we lost the first game pretty pretty badly. Game two changed up the pairings. So it was uh, Lavelle and I versus Steven and Aaron. Uh, so that was Custodes and uh, Admech versus Steven had Grey Knights and Aaron had a mix of Dark Angels and Admech. This was a really, this was a really great game. We did wind up winning, but it was a really great game because Steven and Aaron just had such a cool vibe about playing. You know, we were all on the same page to have a good time. You know, it was like right after lunch. We were glad to be playing all day. It was the middle game, so we weren't completely depleted of any energy yet. You know, it was like we were charged up, and we had we had a lot of laughs. 
Aaron, who had the Admech army, uh, had Belisarius Call. He had a Dune Crawler. Nicely painted stuff. Both of their armies looked awesome. Steven's Grey Knights looked sick. And I was chatting with Steven throughout the weekend, and I saw more and more of his army outside of that 1,000-point range because he was playing in the narrative for the rest of the weekend. And his, his army just looked just looked awesome. It was nice to see like that much well-painted stuff on the table between our stuff and their stuff. Lavelle, that's that swooping dive. You, 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 <laughs> you, you, you spent those three command points and you did the work. And I have here in the show notes, and forgive me for putting it this way, but Lavelle, you were making so many invul saves against his psychic attacks those first two turns. It was unbelievable. <laughs> you were like nothing but sixes for like, like maybe it seemed like ten rolls of the dice were all sixes. It was just great. And the next segment is on how to weight your dice. No. <laughs> Listen, let me say this. I built two armies like we all did. My thousand point army, I, I, it, was, it was far superior to my solo army and, and, and supplementing and augmenting what you guys had in your two armies. And it, w- it was really, really good. We, again, we forced them to make some difficult decisions and we challenged them where they were strong. So it was it was a really, really good game. I really, really enjoyed that game. And I think one of the things that we were talking about is we said, no, don't set up here. Deny them this. And we were kind of really thinking it through, thinking and making decisions a turn or two ahead. It was a super fun game. The vibe was good. We had a lot of laughs. And when swooping dive works and you spend the three command points to do that crazy charge and attack move, it's just, it was really great. It was a super fun game. Armies looked good. Uh, we wound up winning. And uh, Carlo, you wound up winning too. You were playing Tim in the solos match right next to us. And it looked like you guys were having a hell of a game too. Wait, before, oh, before yeah. you go, before you go, Carlo, listen to this. One of the things that I think that, cause he had a, a, a bunch of guys inside of a, um, inside of a building. I think people, they really discount the difference between a three up save and a two up save. And it sounds like it's just one number. But the two-up save, because my, my shield captain stayed in that doorway and prevented him from coming out for an extra turn. And it, it really worked. And then I moved away and let the other guys shoot into the room. It was, it was really good. Carlo, you had, an awesome, you had an awesome game, too. Yeah, yeah. I played against Tim, and he's a great guy, and he's playing a night army. Um, and, like, Steve and Tim, um, they, were a tre- they were at Nova last year, and I got to play uh, – uh, some kill team games with Steve and his gray knights that you were just talking about. And he's awesome, dude. Uh, Tim's really nice as well. And, uh, he was playing, uh, I think it was, it was, uh, a Castellan. I want to say two or three Imperial Knights with the double guns. One might've been a Paladin. One might've been a, what's the, what's the knight with two guns? Is that a, is that a, an errant, but he had like a, the Avenger Gatling cannon and the, uh, thermal cannon and then um so he had some armagers and a helverin so uh i was playing knights so i had a, a knight gallant and two helverins as my main detachment and then i had a bunch of space wolves uh he made a mistake of setting everything up on we played dawn of war and he made the mistake of setting everything up on the line and i was just able to charge m- the majority of his army turn one so i set like he kind of spread himself out across his deployment zone and I counter deployed and shoved everything into a corner except for some primaris that I had on an objective across the table. So, um, and then a, a lot of my stuff was on that line. So I like, I like basically jousted his Castellan with my gallant. And then I had two squads of Wolfen 
So I started one in the flyer and then deployed it as soon as I started my turn. I either seized on him or went first. I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember, but um, I had tabled him by turn three. It was a little unfair. Like my dice rolling was just like really hot too. So it was, um, he was shooting a lot of stuff at my Wolfen and I was making those three up in balls like boom, 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 boom. So I think I made like nine out of 10 and then rolled like two feel no pains for the one shot that I actually got through. <laughs> and it was just like, um, but uh, Tim was a good sport about it. And uh, we, we had a really fun game. Yeah, game two was a lot of fun. Um, game three, uh, we had a really good time against a team that called themselves Redemption, but their team name at Nova was... Radiant. Radiant, yes. Which uh, was Bo, Ryan, and Sean. A really, a really great way to end the day. They had pint glasses for all of their opponents throughout the day. They had written a story... Uh, and they had printed it out in this wonderful little spiral-bound novella that they had given to their opponents. It was awesome. I love that kind of thing. I was I was just jazzed to receive it. That kind of made the night. And I was feeling tired, but as soon as, as, soon as they handed me that stuff, I was like, all right, this is going to be fun, because you could tell right away that these guys were super cool. I sold it off against Sean. He had a free blade night, which I had never gone up against. There was a lot of cards involved with the Freeblade Knight. I'm not sure exactly what all of them were doing. There's a thing called a... Is it a curse? Is that the right word for it? A, uh, There's no, a, a quality and a burden. A quality and a burden. Right. That was it. Yes, a burden. That was the word, yeah. I don't know too much about them. I, I have to read the Knight's Codex. You know, what it is is the quality is something that the free the, uh, the Freeblade gets, and it can always apply it. At the beginning of its turn, it has to make a roll. Um, and if it doesn't make that roll, then that turn, the burden applies. As soon as he set up, I could tell that Sean knew what he was doing. I could tell he plays a lot, and he's, he, was a really, he was a really good player. Um, he had uh, Blood Angels and this uh, free, free Blade Knight running around. We had the, the mission where you could pick two different objectives from that list, and we had both picked basically just kill stuff, 25% uh, and 50% of your opponent's army removed from the table. Um, and then I had picked kill characters, and he had picked kill troop units, I think, from the secondary that you could pick from. I think that's how it worked. Um, turn one, he had some really great, he had really great shooting from his uh, scouts with sniper rifles, took out a lot of stuff from my admech side of the army. We had uh, played Dawn of War. He was, he, he, he was a smart player. He took out a lot of stuff turn one. The only, the only thing that I think I did right in that game was block the progress of, he had two dreads with, I'm going to forget what they were called, but some kind of mag grappling thing. Do you, do you guys know this weapon? It was a mag, um... I wish I had written it down. I don't. Were they the uh, Primaris Dreadnoughts? Or Leviathans? Anyhow, he had two Dreadnoughts charging up in the middle of the table. I had blocked them from being able to charge my Land Raider with my Tech Marine on a bike, so I just parked them there. Uh, and I had blocked his Knight with the Land Raider from coming around to being able to wreck my Castellan robots and the Terminators that I had run across the table. I forget why I needed to get my Terminators across the table. But basically, at the end of the game, the only thing I had left was like a handful of Terminators and a couple of wounds left on the... I basically had nothing left at the end of the game. Nothing left. It was close. It was only like three or four points that he won by. It was like 20 to 17, I think, was his final score or something. We, we, we had an awesome game. He was, a, he was a treat to play with. Super cool guy. Being the last game... If you don't have a like a good, cool opponent in the last game, it can really become a bit of a slog. Three games of 40k in a day is a lot for me. I've talked about it before in this podcast. Like I start to lose it. Game three is it's hard for me to like really stay engaged. But when you have somebody who's a treat to play across the table, it does make that third game awesome. And and Sean did make that game awesome. We had a we had a really good time. You guys had another 10 minutes or so. 
I guess you could keep playing because it was the last game of the day. Well, we we had like we were like running out of time. I think we were over time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because so we the- wanted them to get because we had gone first. We seized on them with Lavelle's like beautiful, beautiful seize roll. So like like they they won the we like deployed and everything and they won the go first and they had like a gun line with like five layman russes a basilisk like a ton of uh, guard infantry and all that stuff and we were kind of like pooping our pants and I took a d6 and I I like dropped it right into Lavelle's open hand you know and I like like held it there and I was like you got this and Lavelle, was, like, <laughs> Lavelle like raised his fist in the air and then. And then right. threw, he threw the dice on the table and landed it's it on no six. Motion, no less. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Let me say this about the game. You talk about the third game. Bo and Ryan were such great players. And, you know, it's your third game, but you, we were locked in our game. That was our world right there. It was really, really good. Even though, you know, it's at the end of the day, it was a lot of fun. And they were really, really engaging all the way through. And for playing like a blob army, they played very quickly. Yeah. Like there was like, I don't think us running over time had anything to do with either of us, like slow playing, which was great. You know, we got through like five turns, I think, or we might've even gone into a six. I'm trying to remember. Right. But I think we did. I think what happened is we completed our sixth turn. It was whatever the last turn was. We completed it and we accelerated it so that they would get their chance to respond. Yes. Let let me tell you something about that. Listen to me, Tim. I'm going to talk about Carlo. Carlo taught me something in that game that was really, really important. When you play it, you when you play the game, especially when you can't churn command points, you hold command points in case you need them later. Carlo was like, no, screw that. Right now, right here, right now, turn one. We're going to do everything we can. Give me them. <laughs> I was like, oh, are, are you sure? He said, no, I got it. <laughs> he spent them, and they made the difference because it allowed his knight to move up the table, get in their grill, and do a massive amount of damage. And on their first turn, have to make difficult decisions. I was surprised they ignored it. Like, they didn't shoot anything at it first turn. But they killed uh, both my Helverins. I think in that particular case, they, they classified the objective as the Helverns and some of my um, custodes. But I think they, again, I think they, they were not prepared for the two up save. Yeah. My yeah. cat was out there drawing fire, just tanking it, tanking it, tanking it. Yeah, you lost like one, I think, right? Yep. And he will be remembered. Yeah. <laughs> but but in, it, in this game, I had, I had like uh, nine or 12 jet bikes that's it i just had a bunch and a couple of troops but it was primarily a jet bike army awesome job you two that was a good win to pull off that was just great but it made for a good way to wrap up a really busy day on thursday and you know you got to hand it to joe and colin who do such an awesome job of organizing and running this day we were they had tallied things so quickly throughout the day and they had you know the painting judging they everybody had gone around they had an independent panel of uh, painting judges who went around to do theme and uh, another group do painting uh, everything went without a hitch i think everything was pretty much on time um after you guys were done playing it it wasn't really that long before they had they were ready to announce winners which was really great oh yeah they had they're on point it's really crazy. Joe, I mean, I've said this a million times before. Joe's a robot, first of all, you know. 
The man is machine. Oh, you know what? That really surprised me that he doesn't play Admech because he's totally like an Admech kind of guy. Or uh, is he a Necron? <laughs> it, w- it was an awesome day. It was it was cool to come in second. Uh, kudos to all the teams that came in first, and thanks to everybody that we played. Um, I know Carlo has been connecting with folks on Facebook that we had enjoyed games with. Um, a couple of folks we had played said they were listeners to the podcast, so thank you for listening, and thank you for an awesome day of gaming on Thursday Trios down there at Nova. Um, it was just great, and uh, we'll look forward to next time. Uh, we, we had also participated in a couple of the, uh, the narrative games, which started up right after Trios. We did not play the narrative, the first narrative game after Trios, because I did that by accident one year, and that was hellish, because that last yeah, game was like the that was- Hilarious that was like that the worst thing. That. That's like the worst thing that I'd ever done. The game four of yeah. me, me playing game four in 40k is like, you might as well be playing like like a half dead cactus. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much useless uh, at, at that game four time on a, on a Thursday at Nova. So, um, but we did uh, we did enjoy. I enjoyed two narrative games. The first of which was the day fight, the morning game on Saturday. And I got to play against Dan from the 40K Badcast. What up, Dan? And to our listeners, you guys should go check out Dan and Campbell's podcast, the 40K Badcast, if you don't already listen to it. Um, Their tagline is, they're bad at 40K and you can be too. However, Dan is very good at 40K. There's, there's, so, and I knew this going into get, it, but I would get our lawyers. On that yeah, false there's there's some false advertising there. Yeah, um, it was cool because you know Dan had asked if I had wanted to play that so that that game against him Saturday morning, and of course I said yes. You know I've played Dan many times, and it's it's always always a treat. Uh, so this was a thousand points. He had uh, basically an all Primaris Raven Guard army uh, with Hellblasters and Ancient Lieutenant and Captain, which I had never seen that trio played before with such great to such great effect especially that's especially powerful on a four by four table because you can keep them kind of clustered together to give everybody around them those wonderful buffs that they can get uh we we picked i picked the yeah i don't know why i picked this mission on a four by four table but i picked the shuttle crash which is where turn two a shuttle comes in and crashes in a random direction and explodes and then debris which become objective markers for you to take explodes, I think it's 3D6 inches out from the shuttle crash site. Um, Unfortunately, the shuttle crashed onto Dan's side of the table. The objective spread onto Dan's side of the table. Uh, His army was mobile enough to basically take all the objectives on his side of the table. Um, My admech list was very heavy oriented. I had the Castellans, I had two dune crawlers, I had some Skatarii troops and some Cataphrons and a uh, my tech tech priest domina uh it was a really fun game but i was by t- i think it was turn 4 or turn 5 he tabled me it was it was it was lights out after a couple of turns um the the coolest thing about the game was that those reflecting fields off of those castellan robots actually worked uh so i was able to kill a couple of hellblasters during his shooting phase turn 1 which was nice he was plas- shooting me with plasma and they were bouncing right back at him because i was saving it on sixes so that was cool that that never happens it's only ever happened it's only ever happened once before so i thought that was pretty cool and um (laughs) he did you know on a four by four table i had clustered everything we had the diamond or the uh, triangle shaped deployments uh, where the triangles almost touch in the middle you know uh seek and seek and destroy spearhead assault assault, spearhead yeah that's it spearhead thank you um so we we had chosen spearhead assault and i had clustered everything center of the table 
on my deployment edge, kind of, because I wanted to be able to use those dune crawlers to kind of keep an eye on both sides. There was a big piece of terrain in the middle of the table, so I wanted those dune crawlers to be able to pick stuff off as it was coming around that main piece of terrain in the center. Um, unfortunately, uh, dune crawlers explode, and <laughs> and do they ever? Uh, I, I rolled really badly on the explode results, and they wound up killing like. A cat, they took out a cataphron, a bunch of troops, putting wounds on the dune crawler next to it. It was like the perfect chain of events. Of uh, did you not have command rerolls left, or what's there? I forget. I I spent some command points. Or were you just like it's so cool because uh, we're playing a narrative? That's kind of what like, it was. By, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I had some command points left, but at that point, I like it when stuff explodes. I think it's cool, so I just let it explode. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it doesn't happen. Enough. Yeah, that's cool. You should almost not be allowed to reroll yeah, that. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of like those, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was good, and Dan, you know, crushed me, but we had a lot of laughs, and it was a good way to start off Saturday. Um, and then Saturday evening, Carlo and I did the doubles narrative game. Evan and Chris, yeah, and Evan runs a podcast, Allies of Inconvenience. They were they were delightful guys. Uh, they had a Blood Angels, basically all Dreadnought army, <laughs> and a Dark Eldar army sitting across from us, which was really cool because he had built it from some uh, Warhammer Fantasy battle stuff. So it had a really cool look. I couldn't recognize what anything was, so I had to keep asking it was him. A Sil- I think the so he was using Sylvaneth as racks. He did have Mandrake models, but he had used like um his uh he had two Void Raven bombers and they were like these two birds on a base. I don't know what model it is, but it was pretty sweet. It, it looked it looked cool. I had to keep asking what stuff was. And there were so many dreadnoughts on the other side of the table, and some of them were elites, some of them were characters, and some of them were heavies. So I kept having to yeah. ask him like, what his stuff was, which I kind of felt bad about, but there was like six or seven dreadnoughts on the other side of the table. And Everything was really well painted, I'll have to add. Yeah. I got to apologize for that game, because I like... I got ta- pretty much my side of the army got tabled like turn one, and I was just like a sourpuss the whole rest of the game. But so I gotta apologize, Evan and Chris there, but they were really fun to play against. Yeah, they were super fun. And as, as soon as as soon as your army fell, I, I just tried to pick up the pace and and you know start rolling fast because it was time for a beer at that point. Um, yeah. But you know we we played out an entire game. It was great. We went into turn six, I think. Uh, we got crushed. But we had a. It was a lot of fun. It was. I had. Yeah, I, I think we ended the game with like zero points yeah, or something yeah, we had, like we that. Had no yeah, points. <laughs> we. Uh, but we had a lot of laughs. Uh, they were a delight to play. Uh, they knew their armies really well, and th- it was a weird synergy between those big, heavy Blood Angel dreadnoughts and the the mobility of the uh, Dark Eldar. It was like a weird mashup, but it really worked. It was wound up being super effective. Listen, oh, yeah. on Friday night, I ended up jumping in the narrative, a twenty five hundred point narrative game. Um, yeah, Joe had recommended it to me, and I went upstairs and I counted my army points. And I said, "Hey, because I bought the two different types of armies, the thousand point and the the the, uh, the two thousand point armies, I actually could play with everything together, and it was a twenty five hundred point." Yeah, that worked out well. So I, I went and I, I played in that game against a um, an Imperial Guard, kind of a parking lot situation, and he was all tabled up, tanked up, and castled up in a corner. And I ended up losing that game. I lose. I lost it badly, but it was a really, really good game. I can't remember his name, but um, it was a really, really good game because all through the game he had to make difficult decisions, but he kept making the right decision. And so it ended up really being a challenging game. I like those games, win or lose, where you're constantly thinking. In the last turn, it was just me trying to grab some some victory points, but it was a really, really good game. 
So moving on from, uh, we'll do short recaps of everything else we did at Nova, I think. Carlo and I participated in a Dark Age Beginners Tournament, which was put together by Daria. Um, she does a great job of putting together this Dark Age event every year. Last year it was a build and play, and uh, this year it was a beginner's tournament, so thank you, Daria. Um, I lost all three games, but I really, I felt like I know how to play the game now, because I played against two armies that were the same as mine and one very different army. It was a 500-point game, which is which in my case it was four models, but it can be five or six, depending upon what force you're playing, what faction. best game I had was uh, Leah from Long Island. That was my last of the three games. Uh, she had pretty much the exact same army that I did, and uh, she played it really well. And I learned a lot about the game over the course of that uh, two and a half hours, I think it was, maybe three hours. But it was a hoot. She had like a sweet cosplay. Yeah, yeah, she looked awesome, and it was we had we had, we had a lot of laughs, and the vibe was good, and it was cool. I, I liked I liked Dark Age. We've talked about it before on the show. Um, I'd like to play more of it. Uh, it was cool. I, I enjoyed it. Carlo, what did you think of that event? Uh, I really liked it. I liked it more than the build and play last year. I thought it was uh, run a, a bit better. Um, and uh, I, I lost two games, 1-1, one, one, I want to say. And uh, all three of my opponents were very fun to play against, uh, especially our first. Uh, first game, we played against Brad, who I think is actually a PA local. So we're going to try and get some games in with him. I added his uh, Instagram. He had some really nicely painted fire elementals. I really that's like my favorite Dark Age model. It looks it's like this big beefy model and it's, you know. He had it really well painted like with like kind of like a red glowing effect coming out of his chest and stuff. So it was really cool. The community I think is really cool. Like everybody we had like the wrap up at the end and they're giving out the prizes and it's it was like a really like small event but it was nice there were like i think like 12 or 16 players but everybody like got along really well so it was, it was great um i i, I was uh sad not to see the culminator not booth at nova this year agreed i wouldn't i wouldn't have mind picking up some more models for that game yeah yeah because you can't like like that was the thing like if you're running a game over there you can't like walk over the store and pick up a mo- like oh i might be missing this model out of my list i'd like to go pick it up and it wasn't the option just wasn't there because um, most of the time, like if, if like GW didn't show up, you could still buy GW stuff at some of the other vendors there, but nobody carries the cool mini or not. Yeah. Stuff really, so. And I was, my list was actually only 450 points. So I was planning on buying another, uh, Dragiri ice cast model before that beginner's tournament, but I wasn't able to cause they weren't there. So that was a bummer. Yeah. I hope they, I hope they come to uh, PAX unplugged because I would like to pick up some more uh, Kukulkani and uh, Dragiri models. And also while I was there, Ryan, who was at the Build and Play last year, I think maybe has worked for Cool Mini or not, or still does, but he's a local gamer from the DC area as far as I understand. Super nice guy. He was putting together the um, Wrath of Kings starter box. He and I started chatting about Wrath of Kings, and he was showing me how the cards work with the D10 system, and the models looked really cool. I know, Lavelle, you play the game, so we'll save a bigger discussion for this for another time, but I got I, I think I kind of want to try a game of Wrath of Kings soon. But Lavelle, tell us about your other games throughout the weekend. I played in a bolt-action tournament. It was my first organized play for bolt-action, and I am proud to say, or maybe not so proud, I received the Prisoner of War, the POW Award, for being in absolute last place and having won no games. <laughs> but you, that whole crew, that whole group there playing, and the, the tournament organizer, it was really, really good. It was a great group of people. You know, they, they kind of scoffed at my tank. Um, I took a, a, a one of the heavy American tanks. But uh, and especially in my last game, my tank was the last thing running around, just shooting up his stuff. But it, it was a really, really good game. I, I really enjoy bolt, bolt action. I connected 
with um, a guy named Peter who plays out of Seventh Dimension Games in Jenkintown. And I know him as a War Machine player, but he said he and his wife uh, actually play bolt action. So I intend to get a lot more bolt action play in here locally. The other thing that I did was I did the Infinity Tournament. And in playing in that Infinity Tournament, I, I realized it was a mistake not to sign up for more games. The group, the game, everything about it, the terrain was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, I do have a lot of pictures, and I have a lot of pictures throughout the con. I'm going to be uploading them to our Instagram site uh, probably over the next week or so. But it was a great game. It was fun. It was relaxing. You know, even though the games can be a little tense, you know, because of the game itself, the, the time frame for each game is not that long. It was really, really good. I really did enjoy that. I came in the the bottom half of the pack of that that um of that tournament there. Kevin from Red Caps, he was there. I think he did. He played Infinity all weekend and he did pretty well. But a couple of things that goes on. They keep a plaque called the Spirit of Infinity, and then the Spirit of Infinity. They actually put your name on there based on your sportsmanship for uh, all of the tournaments and they, they keep it running because one of the things they emphasize is not necessarily winning or losing, but having a good time and being a good sportsman. Wilson, who runs the game, he runs a lot of events. He does a great job. I actually am planning on going to their November uh, event down in Baltimore. I say that, but this year I'm going to really get there. Wilson said everybody that they tell you, you know, you on a sportsmanship, it's a one or two or three. They said you should give out one three over the course of the weekend. Um, everybody should be in that two. And if there's a problem, give them a one, but they want to know about it. But Wilson said to me that I got uh, a three in all of my games, all the three people. Right. And I was like, wow, that, that's really nice. But all of those games were so comfortable. When I sit down at a tournament, one of the first things I say to the other player is, hey, and this not, might, might not be you, so you don't necessarily have to do it. But I say, hey. How much have you played this game? I try to get a gauge for their play level. And I say, okay, so if you're making a mistake, I'm okay with that. We can go back. I don't like going. If you miss a phase, as long as we haven't switched turns, I'm okay with that. The only thing is um, if I see something that it doesn't look like you're going to take advantage of that you have, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to say, hey, you got this. Did you remember you need to do this? Because I played a lot of games against a lot of opponents and a lot of different armies. And that game, it was just so good in terms of the people that I were playing. I was like, hey, wait a minute. I think you have a shot here. Remember, you can do this. It was a really good game. I really had a good time. Next year, I think I'm, I'm going to focus my time on 40K and um, Infinity just to get more play play of the games that I like so much. It was really, really good. You know, you know, it was nice to see, I didn't have a chance to speak to him, but uh, Gutierrez Lusquinos was there, the creator of Infinity. He was at Nova this year. In the past, Carlos from uh, Corvus Belli has been there, but this was the first time that I had ever seen Gutierrez there. It would have been nice to speak to him. I think he did a, uh, a Q&A session on uh, Thursday while we were in trios. Yeah, you know, he has been there before, Akil. Yeah, Akil has a picture of him when Akil, I think Akil took second place. Um, you know, and he remembered me, you know, he was, he came over and gave me a handshake and a hug and he, he was talking a little bit about the game. He said he hadn't seen me in a while, but one of the things about it is I, I think it's interesting how they take the time to send somebody over there and they explain the intent behind the rule and the weapon and they give you a great feel for it. It was a really, really good time. I think we're really lucky in that, you know, I have a Yu Chang army that I never play, but always mean to play more infinity, but in Philly, there's a lot 
of Infinity play to be had. Whereas other people I was talking to at Nova, their local stores, like there's no Infinity. I think we're lucky in that we have, you know, there's somebody at Red Caps who really is into it. So they always keep the store well stocked with Infinity stuff and there's always games going on. Oh yeah, it's pretty popular. Um, I'd say it's like the second... Between that, I think we have a lot of presence of 40k, uh, War Machine and Hordes, and then Infinity. And then we used to have a lot of X-Wing, but I feel like that's died down a bit. Maybe it'll pick up now that second edition's coming out. It was a terrific weekend. I came back without spending a ton of money and uh, feeling like we, we represented well. Uh, feeling really glad that uh, Jason and Fernando and Alexander had won... Uh, the best painted armies category. That was just awesome. Thanks to Mike Brandt and everybody who puts the event together. Uh, thanks for, you know, GW was there in force. They had a lot of, a lot of GW was there. Pete Foley was there. Um, Andy Smiley was there. It was just, it was a great turnout from GW staff. They were all over the, uh, the 40 K area and the vibe was good. It was a, it was a really pleasant weekend. I think um, it's important for us to keep our eye on packs. I think there's going to be more organized play there. Um, maybe even a tournament. I know that there's definitely going to be an Age of Sigmar tournament, but I'm looking to see what comes up there. Cool. We will keep our eye on PAX then as another local con going on uh, like a mile from my house, which is nice. <laughs> um, with that, we will hit pause. We'll come back with Future History Section 3, where we're talking about human heroes of the Imperium. Stay tuned. with future history this one focusing on human heroes of the imperium part one we're calling this part one because there are many human heroes of the imperium we only have an hour or so to record today so we're going to limit ourselves to five or six human heroes and then a special section coming up unsung heroes of the imperium which will be full of surprises and shenanigans as we go down through the episode. So we'll be doing more of these human heroes of the Imperium lists in the future. Um, we'll mention more in future episodes, rather. Uh, but today we have uh, a good assortment of folks to talk about. I will kick it off. I'm going to start in the middle of this list, and I'm going to talk about Commissar Ibram Gaunt, which is some kind of futurization of Ibrahim, probably. So Commissar Ibram Gaunt... He's the commanding officer of the Tanith First and Only, also known as Gaunt's Ghosts. Why were they called the First and Only? That's a great question you ask. It's because shortly after their founding, the world of Tanith was crushed by the forces of chaos. It was one of the Sabbat worlds, so it was crushed during the Sabbat world's crusade. Uh, that whole crusade is kind of what the uh, Gaunt's Ghosts novel series is based around and there's some really great you know there's a, it's a really great book series there's some true true cultist chaos worshipping evil going on in the Sabbath worlds during that crusade and one of the casualties of that crusade was the world of Tanith so they were the first and because the planet was destroyed they were the only he is considered a model of discipline under pressure and is quick to make very hard choices that take the fight to chaos all while keeping his own forces safe, but still fighting hard. So he's he's really he really cares about his people. He's sensitive to the fact that he had started this regiment from a, a world that was destroyed shortly after its founding. So granted, there are more than just Tanith 
folks in the first and only, but they, they are still called the first and only or gaunts of ghosts. He, uh, he was captured by the blood pact. Blood pact is like a, it's a corn worshiping cultist tribe, troop, cult, coven kind of a thing. <laughs> um, what do we call it? Yeah, it's like work, a gang. Work it out, Sam. Work yeah, it it's, out. Um, you know, what do, what do you call it? Like a, just a mess of filthy heretics. Uh, I, are the, I guess ensemble isn't right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> blood Pact Orchestra. Can we go there? I don't know. So he was captured by the Blood Pact and lost his eyes during intense torturing, but they were replaced with augmetics after his men rescued him from the clutches of the blood pact. So now he is running around with fake eyes, fake robotic eyes. Uh, most recently, there was just a book that came out last year called The War Master, which I have not read yet. I got it, but I haven't read it yet. And that's the latest of these Gaunt's Ghosts novels. And I think it has to do with him uh, being uh, promoted to a much bigger role in the Imperium. But I, I'll, I'll read that and then report back. But Ibram Gaunt... You know, you, you picture that commissar as the one who will shoot his own men in the back of the head with a pistol as they are trying to run away or, uh, what's the word, go AWOL from service to the emperor. But he has a little bit more care for his men, fights on the front lines, and leads them uh, to victory against the blood pact in the Sabbat worlds. Super cool hey, character. Tim, yeah. I got a continuity question here. I thought commissars were out of the chain of command. I thought commissars weren't really in the, I mean, they're in the military, but they're not, they don't really lead people. I thought there was somebody else. Yes, I, th I, th I think you're right, but he's, but this particular commissar has always considered the commanding officer of the Tanith first. It's, it's a good question as to why that is. I haven't read one of the Gaunt's ghost novels in a while, so I can't speak to exactly why. Gaunt was granted the additional rank of colonel, so he's considered a colonel commissar. So he is both a leader and a political officer. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, I wonder if there's any other examples of that having happened elsewhere in the Imperium. So he is considered a colonel commissar. Cool. I assume that Ibram Gaunt, as commissar, is also the commanding officer of the Tanith first and only because he's the only one left to lead them. But you're right, he's not. the commissars are usually not at the front lines of leadership. They're usually the political officer, kind of. Now, the Tanith are not playable in 8th edition, or I don't know that they were playable in any edition, like the Cadians, right? Right, they are not playable, no. Okay. Carlo, why don't you talk to us about Sly Marbo? Oh, I was hoping I'd get a picture of this one. Yay! All right. Um, Sly Marbo slash Rambo, I mean, uh, is the one-man army is a fearsome Katachan devil. There is no one more deadly in a jungle or wilderness battlefield. He is considered by many to be the deadliest human in existence. An incredible sniper. Oh, yeah. We got a bunch of contenders there. So he's on the top top of the food chain. An incredible sniper and survivalist. He is thought to be as powerful as a Vindicare assassin and a space marine, all wrapped into one T-shirt clad badass. Damn. He has taken on Dark Eldar, Tau, and Tyranid forces all by his lonesome. He was famously found amidst the wreckage of a battle surrounded by piles of Dark Eldar bodies with the Dark Eldar leader's head impaled on a spike next to him. <laughs> it's pretty badass. Uh, he has received a collection of medals and accolades that would rival an Imperial War Master, but refuses to leave the front lines. Mm. It's like, we've got a little excerpt here. The colonel stepped up to Trooper Marbo. Marbo's eyes were empty again. 
like they always were when he wasn't stalking through the jungle or carving his name in some enemy's internal organs. (laughs) Inwardly, the colonel sighed. There was something wrong with this boy. Blood and death had warped him to the point where he could only be normal with a blade in his hand. Once again, the colonel pronounced the well-rehearsed words, For valor and battle and service to the emperor of unbounded courage, you are hereby awarded the Star of Terra. Bear it with pride that you may inspire others to worthy endeavor in the service of man. The colonel completed the dedication in a single breath before pinning the ribbon on Amarbo's chest. Probably straight on his chest, I would imagine. <laughs> this one was wiping was for wiping out a whole squad of aliens, killing their commander and capturing their command post single-handed. He leaned closer to Marbo and asked, You want me to look after it for you, son, like the rest? Marta, Marbo nodded solemnly. All right, son, you can go. The words had barely left the colonel's lips before Sly Marbo had plunged back into the jungle as smoothly as a fish slipping into a stream. Nice. <laughs> I, I picture Sly Marbo like never talking. You know, like there's like, probably a whole novel with him in it that just doesn't, he doesn't say a word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like all the dialogue is just like quotes, but nothing in the middle. <laughs> Listen, who is the, who is the guy with the metal arm? Oh, um, that's uh, Straken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Iron Hand. Yep, yep. We'll get to Colonel Iron Hand Straken in the next one. He's a good character, too. Is he a Katachan, too? He is a Katachan's most notorious and storied commanding officer. Yes. Okay. And Marbo's just a one-man killing machine. He's just, just Lavelle. I beg your pardon. <laughs> he's the deadliest. <laughs> he's the deadliest human alive. I'll have you know. <laughs> Who's the guy with the orc arm? Uh, that's uh, Yarrick. Commissar Yarek. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yep. yeah. He's got the orc arm and the red eye of doom. Yeah. So I, I like Slime Robo a lot. I like the fact that he's just a simple man who has a sniper rifle in the jungle, probably like <laughs> with a knife in his teeth all the time, just like waiting to get into it with some kind of Xenos force and is always victorious. I like this a lot. Uh, Lavelle, you want to talk about uh, Creed? Lord Castellan Usurker Creed. He was an orphan child found on Cadia, clutching a pistol and a copy of the Gloria Macarius. He was quickly adopted into the Cadian Eighth. His early career was marked with more with many victories against the chaos that was spilling out of the Eye of Terror and into the Cadia Wake. His latest victory came during Abaddon's 13th Black Crusade, when he faced down Abaddon himself with only two pistols. Damn! <laughs> he was saved from Abaddon's grip by Saint Celestine, who was thought to have fallen earlier in the battle. Cadia stands. He was then captured by Trazen the Infinite and placed inside his Tesseract Vault. What a noble guy that Trazen. Captured <laughs> is a bit strong. You probably meant the type saved. Saved, maybe? <laughs> right. Elevated? <laughs> he was preserved by Trazen the Infinite and placed inside his Tesseract Vault. Creed is a pretty pretty powerful character. Creed's amazing. He like He's like this leading from the front line... Lord Castellan, born into battle like many uh, kids on Cadia were, was basically he was like the last man standing at the fall of Cadia, you know, which is why I put uh, his latest victory in quotes there, because he basically was responsible for helping to delay the fall of Cadia as long as possible. You know, one of the things when they describe Creed and in, in the books and any of the writings, one of the things that's really good about him is he's got great coolness under fire. And his and it, it radiates to everybody under his command. So when everybody's panicking, he's just looking like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, oh, it must be okay. So I have here in front of me, I'll read this from the first Gathering Stormbook, Fall of Cadia. This is one of those 
great little side sections where we hear directly from the characters. I'll read this. This is basically a, a bit of Creed's last stand during the fall of Cadia. The air was thick with the screams of burning Kasserkin, burning Kasserkin, the roar of gunfire and the Black Legion's harsh oaths. Creed twisted around, searching for allies in the dust and smoke. He found none, only the dead. Cadia stands, Creed bellowed the mantra. No other voice took up the cry. Mocking laughter cut across the cacophony. Creed raised his pistols, sending shot after shot into Abaddon's path. One raised a livid wound across the despoiler's pale brow. The others refracted across his baroque armor. Cadia is dead, thundered Abaddon. Even now its doom comes. The monstrous lightning claw lashed out. Creed fell amongst the dead, blood oozing from a ravaged arm, electricity arcing across his armor. His pistols had gone, one cast aside by the claw's strike, the other slipping from a bloodied hand whose fingers had been sliced away. Yet Creed felt no fear, only defiance. Cadia lives while but one of its soldiers fights on, he says. Crackling talons closed around Creed's neck, hoisting him effortlessly into the air. I set this world's fate in motion before I even made planetfall, but for hubris I would never have set foot here at all. Your games with the pylons have only reinforced the folly of pride. Creed clawed at the talons with his one good hand. They might as well have been carved they might as well have been carved from stone. But now, rumbled Abaddon, the corpse bride has fled. The will of Cadia is broken. The Imperium will follow. I do you the honor of being the last to die by my hand. Take solace in the knowledge that this benighted world will not long outlast you. Abaddon drew Creed in, choking off his attempts to speak. Cadia has fallen. Abaddon's grip tightened, the vertebrae of Creed's neck ground together. As darkness closed in, the Lord Castellan knew only shame. Cadia had stood proud for ten thousand years only to fall under his watch. The humiliation of failed duty was worse than any death. A roar of pain dragged Creed out of the darkness. A golden figure, pale as death, stood behind the despoiler. Her sword thrust deep into his spine. The talons snapped open, and Creed fell. The Emperor protects breathed Celestine. Awesome section of Creed basically standing down like the biggest and baddest chaos space marine of all and was like, Cadia stands, and Abaddon's like, no, Cadia's dead, and then Celestine's like, the Emperor protects, man. <laughs> and that was the abridged <laughs> version of the story by Tim. Cadia <laughs> stands, Cadia's dead, Emperor protects. That was good, that was good Creed. stuff there. I like Creed, I like Creed. And, and you know, just as a side note, in preparation for this episode, I was reading, just kind of skimming through the Gathering Storm books again. There is so much good stuff in these Gathering Storm books. It is. Oh my god, if I had infinite time, I would go back and just play all the narrative. I only played like a couple of the narrative missions out of the back of these, but the, it's, these are really, really good campaign books. There's a ton of stuff in here to play with. Have you seen his model? He's like standing there, wide-legged, pose. His two pistols are holstered, and he's got like a big, fat cigar. And he's like this blocky looking dude he looks like he'd be played by uh uh what's the guy who played merle and walking dead i'll take the next one which is one i was certainly never aware of until i picked up the novel from my secret black library book supply store um this next one is shira calpurnia she is a female arbiter senioris so she is one of the arbites she is stationed in the 41st millennium on hydrofer in segmentum pacificus she comes from lax of or Sorry, she comes from Yax. Iax? How would you guys say that? I-A-X? Iax. Uh, she comes from Iax of Ultramar and is from a long line of faithful and decorated imperial servants. What's neat about her in the books is that she 
she has this long legacy of imperial service to live up to, so she's constantly trying to uphold the standards of her family. So she doesn't wear her station as like a badge of honor. She wears it as a badge of more of responsibility, which is important for her character's personality, I think. Um, she, she, the, the story in these books, which are Crossfire, Blind, and, or Crossfire Legacy and Blind, are the names of the books. They're on uh, Black Library site as ebooks now. She's a fish out of water in Hydrofur, in that she, her, her kind of personality type, is very direct and suffers no fools in service of her duty of enforcing the Emperor's will. Whereas the society on Hydrofur embraces a lot of indirect speech and actions, lots of style getting in the way of substance. For instance, if you're speaking to one of the leaders of Hydrofur, the direction like if you're walking together and having a conversation, the somebody he like this leader he or she could be saying something to you, but you can tell what they really mean to say by the direction that they're walking, and if they take turns while they're walking, like if they turn to the right and then turn to the left very quickly, you know that what they're saying actually is means something different. So there's lots of innuendo and subtleties and courtly grace. Yeah, it's really interesting, and there's a lot of courtly graces that Shira Calpurnia has no interest in. You know, she wants to know who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, who can I shoot or hit with my uh, my maul, basically my power maul. What is like? What is the use of that? Like, why would a civilization like evolve to use basically like contradict themselves every time they speak? Like a like, I'm telling you, great job, but I'm turning to the right, which means, no, it's actually, you've done a terrible there's, job. It's, 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 <laughs> super, it's super, there's a lot of subtleties in this particular civilization, and she just does not have time for it. So it, it makes it interesting, because she's like, what are y'all doing? Like, why aren't we just trying to rat out the forces of chaos? And why are we walking in this direction and that direction? There's a lot of neat subtlety to it, which, which is cool, but, but uh, frustrating for our, um, our, our, our bites there. I like these stories a lot because they focus completely on the human side of the living experience in the 41st millennium. The, you know, the grand battles of space marines and chaos are happening way in the background in these stories, it seems. There's some inquisitors who kind of pop in and out of the first book, but by and large, this is like, what are people actually doing with themselves Wow, these huge battles that we read about more frequently in the Space Marine novels and in the campaign books and whatnot happen. So this is a, it's just a whole different look at the inner workings of an imperial world. And that, I really liked that. I really liked seeing sort of the, the backdrop of all these battles that we play out on the tabletop and talk about more frequently uh, through the novels and the campaign books. And I liked her character a lot. She's completely committed to her duties. She is the first one to put herself in the front line of fire. She leads from the front. Uh, for instance, when she gets on the world, her superiors recommend, like, oh, you should pick your retinue and you should pick, uh, you know, your command vehicle and have it kitted out to your specs. She's like, no, I'll take a rhino and whoever's nearest me and we'll go into battle ourselves and do what we got to do. Highly recommend the book. It's definitely worth reading. I don't, I think he only had written these three, these three books. I think this was the beginning and the end of his Black Library writing career. And these are from the early aughts. So this first book was out in 2003. So that is Shira Calpurnia. Carlo, you want to take uh, Night Commander Pask? Well, I don't think Lavelle's done one yet, and that's our last one. So I did I do like... one. What did you do? I did... Creed, and I'm getting ready to do the main guy. Uh, okay. Oh, <laughs> you mean the uh, unsung the, one? The real hero. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do Night Commander Pask. Katie's armored blade showed his stuff during the Damocles Crusade versus the Tau. 
He was en route back to Cadia from the Damocles Gulf when the Baden launched his 13th Black Crusade. So Pask was not at that battle, but has since pledged himself to the revenge of Cadia and the fall of Abaddon. A brilliant tank commander and specialist versus Zeno's forces, Pask renames whatever Lehman Russ that he is commanding the Hand of Steel. Pask is a playable character in 8th edition. You are now the Hand of Steel. Let me tell you something. If you're taking a tank, you got to take Pask. You got mm-hmm. to. And you're, what, you're, it's got to be Cadian. They're the best. Yeah, every rolling ones is like a little, a little too uh, easy of a choice to make, I think. You got to take that. I know that every time I see him on the table, like, I, I gun for him because he is scary. And I don't need to know much about him to know that. So the, the part B to this section of the show is Unsung Heroes of the Imperium. So these are the folks that we don't often consider heroes of the Imperium, but this is our case to redefine some of the characters that we know and love from the 41st millennium as heroes of the Imperium. And Lavelle came up with a great one to start us off here. Lavelle, who is our first unsung hero of the Imperium? He is a being of infinite knowledge, patience, and dare I say, contribution. He is the Necron, Pharon, Trazion, the Infinite. Wait a minute. I, I know you might be confused. And I'm not going to go on and on about how they're the rightful rulers of the galaxy. Because they I'm just saying every word happened. after he is. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> but let's zero right in in the fall of Cadia. But if these, are, not, these are of the Imperium heroes, Lavelle. Of the Imperium. Hear me out. choice words. Okay. Hear me out. In the fall of Cadia, in that Gathering Storm book, he was the one who told Belisarius Call what was up with the Dullum Gates. He gave them the knowledge to try to stop it, and he was trying to warn them, hey, you know, this is real big. Buddy, I don't know what you're doing, but you want to push the red button, not the blue button. (laughs) And Call was like, what? I didn't know that. And he said, because you're pretty dumb. (laughs) <laughs> You're only part machine. <laughs> then, if, if that contribution wasn't enough, I mean, I'm just amazed at his contribution. When things hit the fan, he went into his own collection and released a significant force to help the Imperium. True, he did steal the force originally, but that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> if not for him, we would not have gray facts because he kind of stole it for the beginning. But, <laughs> but that's, that's not the point. <laughs> yeah, that's fake news. <laughs> he, because of, he did a couple of things in that entire series. The first thing he did it was he told Carl what was going on and what, but it was too late. They had too much momentum, the, the chaos forces. He says, okay. He saw the fight going well, and he said, look, I'm getting out of here. But then he said, no, 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 let me help a little. And then he released this, this, a significant force to help them. And he resisted the urge to snatch up more people, because he was, he was struggling with that while that was going on, whether he wanted to shift the bat on what was more important. Even as he withdrew, as we said earlier, he probably saved uh, uh, Creed. Probably. That's what we're going with, save. Wait, so Creed's like Nine digits short now, right? Keep going. He's got one finger, right? So you think he's going to, is what I'm saying. You think he's going to get like some super sweet Necron hands? 
when you get hit with the last pistol, you're going to say, if only I could regenerate. So Trezan the Infinite in that entire story, he was one of the good guys. And not just one of the good guys cheering on. He made a significant contribution. If not for them, if not for him, they would have never made it to uh, Gilliman. So I'll buy it. I think it's true, and I think there in the Gathering Storm books, there's actually you know it hadn't occurred to me until now, but there are actually some other important Xenos characters that could also be considered heroes of the Imperium that pop up throughout that story, which is interesting. But I like I like Trays in the Infinite a lot. I like in this in these three books of the Gathering Storm series, I like how he's portrayed as kind of this like a little bit crazy. Would you agree with that, Lavelle? He's like a little bit, a little bit. No, he's a little bit eccentric. He's just different. He's just different. I'm imagining just... like a like a robot version of Doc Brown from back. He's, the yes, he's a little tweaky, right? He's a little kind of twitchy. <laughs> yeah. He's special, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, he's, he's let me he's tell intense. you. And in his background is a story of an inquisitor landing on the planet, and you know they they see they 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 think it's a barren world. Uh, what happened was an entire high fleet came, and the high fleet went around the planet. And then, um, you know, the, the, after they defeated the High Fleet, they, they said, well, why did they go around this planet? And Inquisitor goes down there. She investigates. And when she gets to un, uh, the underground catacombs, she sees all of these tableaus of what they believe is holographic uh, depictions of pieces of history. They don't know it's really people frozen in time. And then the tomb comes alive, beats them off. And she gets back, she gets off the world with just her and a small handful of the Inquisitor. And he sends her a note saying, hey, well, you know what? That was great. I really appreciate you delivering all these troops to me to refresh my collection. And I give her your small gift. And that gift is, in fact, the Tesseract Vault, where the Inquisitor gets trapped inside. So you know what? Here's the thing. And I'm, I'm stands on his uh, Necron soapbox. Here's the thing, okay? The Necrons have been doing more for the galaxy while they've been asleep than anybody else, because their machinations have been holding back the war. So if we do Trios again next year, is that like a viable way to explain Necrons working with Imperial armies? <laughs> we can work it out any way we want to. You know, one of the other things that's interesting that, you know, in my research that I, I really, because I've been following the Necrons since they first came out, that I didn't really recognize. The Necrons have access to the webway. That's how they move so fast. They don't use the warp. They use the webway. I guess they, they, like, beat it out of the Eldar when they uh, well, that's, got the power of the Catan. I don't right? know if this was in the retelling when they recrafted the history, but that's how they started to beat the old ones. They, they penetrated the webway that they had already set up. And the old ones were fighting the Necrons and because they created or they unleashed the chaos trying to fight on both fronts. But the Necrons were slipping in and out of the webway. Yeah, that's pretty smooth. I like Trazen. Is Trazen a playable character? Absolutely. And you oh, know wait, really? Yes. What you can do with Trazen, if you, he gets killed, he can take the body of another character. You move that character and you put him there. Uh, that's, that's real cool. Most people don't know that they are surrogate body for Trezan until he pushes you out. Oh, he's pretty cool looking too. I'm looking at yeah. his model right now. Yeah, he's he's a pretty cool character. I have the model. I got it in fine cast back when. I have just about every one of the uh, original characters that that they put out. But of all of the um, of all of the Necrons, he he is the only Overlord that is not openly welcomed because he steals things and he doesn't kill where he steals. He's a, he's a historian. Let's call him an educator. He's like that 
he's like that friend that uh you know is a really good friend but you don't know if he's taking stuff all the time you know, <laughs> <up though. laughs> and say hey are we missing some legions i think we are Drazon! he'll take something and then give it back to you as a present years later <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's hard it's hard to hey i thought i gave this to you at a gift giving party what the hell <laughs> it's hard to get around an enemy that lives so long and he's the only one that we know of that can swap bodies. So that is my unsung hero of the Imperium, Trezan the Infinite. Now he's thoroughly sung, thoroughly sung of. Yeah, I, I think I think he's a great a great start to that series of unsung heroes of the Imperium. I look forward to finding a Tyranid unsung hero of the Imperium somehow. <laughs> now that would be quite a trick. Maybe well, they like rolled up on like some orc invasion or something at the same time. Yeah. Imperial forces were about to get decimated. Hey, you know, I was, I was, um, um, because I do strange things. I was watching on YouTube. Um, I think it's Dawn of War three. All of the cutscenes, all streamed together in one, right? And so it ended up being, um, a, um, a Eldar farce seer, um, a orc boss, and a, um, I can't remember a, a, a Blood Angels chapter master. All three of them had to fight a chaos demon, and so they ended up having to work together. We will take a short break, and we'll come right back to wrap up the show. That has been episode 18 of Crew Shaken. Sorry it took us long to get this one out, folks. The month of September here in 2018 was full of ups and downs and lefts and rights and trips in and out of both the webway and the warp for all three parties involved with Crew Shaken, but we managed to wrap this one up a month after we started it with our uh, Nova Open recap and then with our heroes, Human Heroes of the Imperium Part 1 and Unsung Heroes of the Imperium Part 1. Hope you enjoyed that episode. As a side note, gentlemen, have you guys ever played the Battlefleet Gothic video game have you ever seen this game? I've seen it, and I watched some of the cutscenes from that. I haven't played it. Yeah, I haven't played it either. It was on sale on Steam last week for like seven bucks, so I bought it. I'm looking forward to trying it, but I haven't, I haven't turned it on yet. I'll give it a shot. Anyhow, hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be back sooner rather than later with episode 19, continuing to talk about all things 40k after the tournament that Carlo is running this coming weekend. We'll talk about that. It'll be cool to have a battle report from Carlo's perspective as a TO. Uh, over there at Red Cap's Corner, which will be fun. So we'll look forward to that next month. For Crew Shaken, I have been Tim. I'm Lavelle. And I'm Carlo. Thanks for listening, everybody.